Why Do We Sound So Good? Because we're at Dead Aunt Thelma's studio and Mike Moore is engineering for us. Thanks, Dead Aunt Thelma's. Thanks, Mike. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Adventures in Artslandia. I am sitting with Nicholas Fox, conductor of the upcoming In the Penal Colony, and Jerry Moawad, director and set designer of that piece. Thanks so much for coming to talk to me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. It's a real pleasure. You guys are rehearsing now. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about opera, and of course, you may know Jerry Moawad from uh, his also being the co-artistic director of Imago Theater. And there's so many interesting differences between, you know, a theatrical rehearsal process and an opera rehearsal process, both of which are really interesting. But like day one, everyone comes in, you sing the full opera, right? Well, this time not. Is Not that right? so. Oh, really? Great. They, you had a rehearsal before me, right? We did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been, yeah. It's uh, uh, yeah. I I have loved this because the the way opera I, I the way opera is usually done because you usually because you normally have these pieces that are three hours long, large casts, a chorus sometimes, an orchestra. There's this uh, there's a there's a culture in the opera world of rehearsing with maximum efficiency. Uh, and pe- directors who come in uh, who can say, move here, move here, move here, act sad, act happy, laugh here, uh, see you opening night. That's kind of, those are the ones <laughs> who are favored because of, uh, you know, time. L- limited time. What's been really great about this um, experience, because the piece is short uh, and because there's only two singing cast members, there's four cast members total, it's it's being treated like a play with music. So there's been a table read, um, and and it hasn't been this feeling of okay, here's the blocking, act bleak, see you opening night. It's been lots of uh, uh, don't mean to be vague, but discovery and experimentation, musically, dramaturgically, and it's just been great because because to me the best stuff comes working that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the most organic and, and interesting things and saying that doesn't work, this doesn't work rather than just the traffic cop mm-hmm. manner of rehearsing. So I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been a blast. So now you're conducting the piece. Are you playing rehearsals? Uh, th- there is a rehearsal pianist, the mm-hmm. one, wonderful Michael Lewis, who's, uh-huh. who's been playing. Um, and then the instrumentation, as with everything else, is small. It's mm-hmm. a string quintet. Uh-huh. Uh, two violins, viola, cello, and bass. And this piece is going to be done in the Hampton Center, which is much smaller than the Newmark. And about 250 people mm-hmm. can be in the space. And opening night's already sold out, Jerry. I know. I'm glad. That's pretty pretty thrilling. Mm-hmm. So so now it has to be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes without saying. I mean, your work is so exciting, and you dig into the areas that are just thrilling to watch. So what drew you to this piece in the first place? And do you have an affinity for Kafka or Philip Glass? <laughs> uh, Chris Matigliano, the general director, is that his title? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, invited me to look at it, and I did for a while, and I was a little... The Kafka story is quite eerie, mm-hmm. so that took me a while to sort through if I wanted to live in that world. But after a while, it, I got desensitized to it because you always do in pieces that provoke you. Um, so I decided to do it. Um, so I guess it wasn't really drawn to me. It was offered to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know Kafka's work very well. Mm-hmm. I did read The Metamorphosis, and I've always thought about staging that piece. But um, uh, this one is very... Um, very unusual and uh, keeps um, enlightening me, I guess, and as well as the uh, the entire group together, I think, 
It just keeps unfolding itself, and we're discovering new things mm. in it that are uh, unexpected, mm. like the possibility that the man that is in control of this horrible execution machine mm. is the protagonist of the show. Mm. And that's not something we normally uh, side with, someone that is an executioner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I was thinking about it earlier. It seems as though our media is really heading in a direction of unearthing, well, horror frightening pieces, dark pieces, um, and there are few pieces, operas in particular, that go here. So I know you're also going to be designing the set. How are you playing into this space and where we are that's going to really help these this audience be where we are? Yeah, that was a good question. That actually was a long process. So I, yeah, I was offered just do the scenic design. It's all done, and I'm doing the final touches now. So to make a long story short, because I could go into that for 20 minutes, it's uh, uh, in Kafka's piece, if you read it, and you can read it online, uh, there's an elaborate machine that I'm going to let Nick explain it to you because he's more eloquent at, at it all. But in essence, uh, the uh, the piece, as I understand it, was staged where the machine was never seen in previous productions. Mm. However, uh, meeting with the production team, uh, they were encouraging me to stage it in the round. Now, in in other productions, the uh, the singers uh, look off, climb a wall, and look down into where the machine is, and so the audience doesn't ever sees it. But in our version, you get a strong suggestion of the machine without giving away too much of the stage magic that we're trying to create, mm. and that that process took a long time to to come to mm, um, so i wish i could say more but if people are coming i don't really want them to know <laughs> well the rea- i mean if anybody's seen a production at imago you've created plenty of stage magic and there's no question that anyone who's seen those shows will mm. want to see what you're making with the means of portland opera in that particular beautiful space yeah that's probably why chris offered it to me i would think mm-hmm. i'm not sure you'd have to ask him you built some really cool machines uh, yeah. None of which were torture devices. No. I don't think. <laughs> Not intentionally. <That> we know <laughs> so, Nick, you want to describe the story because I'm acting oh, as though everyone sure. knows the story and probably sure. many people don't. Yeah, so this is a short story that uh, Franz Kafka wrote in 1916. The opera very closely, the opera has to abridge some of the story because of time, but it doesn't add anything. So it's so everything that's in the opera is from the short story. So the short story uh, uh, the summary is in some sort of unnamed penal colony in the tropics, an outpost uh, of, of an unnamed... Everything in the opera is neutralized. Mm-hmm. So everything's unnamed. We don't know exactly where they're from. We don't know what their names are. They just have titles, all the characters. And in this penal colony... Uh, um, they they have what's called the machine, which is an execute, which is an elaborate uh, uh, execution device slash redemption salvation device that uh, uh, executes the a condemned man who a never knows what his crime was, never has a trial, is always found guilty no matter what, is not able to defend himself. And when he undergoes the the execution, it's a 12-hour uh, um, 
<laughs> long process, which he, in which he's initially tortured. And, and when the pain becomes so strong that he becomes desensitized to it, he starts to become, according to the creators of the machine, enlightened. He starts to see the light. Uh, um, and then the actual method of execution is a, a, a spinning harrow, like the farming device, descends and very slowly carves into his body the, the crime that he committed. So in, in, in the condemned man in, in the story has committed the, the unforgivable crime of not waking up in time to salute his officer's door. So what's going to be carved into his body is honor thy superior. And once it's carved into him, he's able to read the, on his own body the crime that he broke, the, the law that he broke. And then he bleeds out and dies. Um, Sorry, I'm laughing because yeah. of Susanna's face, yes. which is in a state of shock a little bit. Now, now all of this graphicness is... Any great horror movie, any any of the great masterful horror movies, mm -hmm. uh, Shining, Halloween, Psycho, uh, always scare us the most with suggestion, not with the literal. So, so as Jerry intimated, it's it's more the idea of the machine that creates the horror than anything particularly over the top literal graphic. It's it's the very notion of this machine that's horror. But what makes the Kafka more than just a dime store? graphic, you know, piece of trash is that it introduces this whole slew of thematic things about capital punishment, mm. about how a person, about moral relativism, and is there such a thing as universal morality? This visitor, this dignitary from another, another unnamed country is visiting and is invited to watch the execution, and his whole struggle during the whole thing is, clearly this is inhumane, by our my enlightened standards, but do I have a right to meddle? Do I have a right to interfere? Do I have a right to come to someone else's country and say, "This is is there a such thing as unif?" So, as Jerry said about discovering the piece, it's as with any great work of art, it poses more questions than it answers. Every every time you 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 think you figured it out, a whole new level of of. Uh, philosophy and theme and morality opens up mm. and that's the genius of kafka so the graphic violent part of it is really just the surface it's mm. it's it's, it's it, the piece makes you think and 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 i think it will make people think it mm. will stay with them they'll want to see it again so as you're working on this and these themes are so deep and the story is chilling how are you balancing that in your personal lives when you're working on pieces such as these to, to me it's thrilling to, to, to me i would rather work on something that that makes me think and than something that is easy and comfortable and uh i don't like comfortable mm -hmm. i like uncomfortable that's why you're such a freaking the, the, fabulous the, conductor pianist but that but that's what's thrilling as it makes you go like i i i i made art today right. not not you know i okay we we started together we ended together See you later. Have a nice life. Right. This is this is this is what what it's all about. Yeah, I think everyone in the room is very invested in the piece, right. which, you know, you could um, you could try to say that about most productions, but it's not always true. Martin Bakari and Ryan Thorne both are wonderful artists. It's really exciting that they're going to be working together on this. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, Nathan H. G. who's done a lot of Imago shows and is a previous ballet dancer that's movement plays the soldier his is a role is silent and sean 
uh, Doran, who's a great actor in town, who's playing the condemned man. So there's a lot of, um, um, well, as Chris told me the other day, he came into rehearsal and he said, I didn't realize how important these non-singing roles were. Mm. So it's really an ensemble of four. Two happen to be singing and two are uh, acting silently. Mm-hmm. And um, I can describe the opening, which I did in one of the greet and meets, which is interesting. Mm. So uh, you come into the space. Um, in the middle of the space is a bundle of a big cloth. Uh, the lights go down, the lights come up, and you see four men in very clad underwear of the 1905 period when Kafka wrote this, except for one man who's in partially dressed suit. They're in four corners, and they move to the sound of like a... Uh, uh, a, a humming machine. You don't really know what it is. They have a stage movement where they stylistically move to this bundle in the middle. They pull the bundle out and they hook it to the floor and you start to see the floor drop of the of uh, the scenic design, which is uh, basically an, in the middle. There's a negative space, a rectangle of where the machine will be placed, but there's a series of blood that leads to this uh, rectangle. Uh, uh, while they pull it out, they then grab their costumes and ritualistically put it on and then put on some of their own makeup before... Uh, this is all during the overture of the piece. That's by Philip Glass. And uh, then they go into the piece. So it sets up uh, a ritualistic uh, approach to the show, which mm. actually helps with the ending quite a bit and also... I think in other ways that I, I, I'm not smart enough to explain. <laughs> <laughs> Words pale in comparison to that experience mm -hmm. anyway. But how Philip Glass is known for his unique use of instrumentation, are there things that are unique about this score that you're really enjoying exploring? Um, th th this is, the, the caricature of Philip Glass is that he's repetitive and he's repetitive and he's repetitive <laughs> and he's also repetitive. Um <laughs> And yes, you hear you hear the first bar of this piece, and the, you know no one's going to mistake it for any other composer. Um, but what what I think he is setting out to do in this piece is to write an opera that's not an opera, but to really make the experience a theatricalization of the Kafka story that has music. Mm rather than um, a more traditional romantic idea of opera where it's kind of this elaborate piece of music that happens to have a story in it. Mm -hmm. This is the opposite. And, and, and so um, it really, it, it is designed and composed so that the text is always absolutely clear mm -hmm. um, and there's not an extra note written. Every single gesture that he makes musically really beautifully underscores and highlights and develops the horror of this situation. And, um, and, and to, to say that it's just random repetition is absurd. I mean, there are seven or eight musical leitmotifs that return and return and develop and, um, and, un, and highlight the, the emotional and psychological flavor of each, of each scene. It's, 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 I've really enjoyed it's my first glass score that I've conducted, mm. and I've really enjoyed um, discovering his dramatic mastery. Uh, um, yeah. It, yeah, can I add to yeah. that? I was like, <clears throat> I think 
you, like uh, you and I are in theater primarily, and uh, a playwright like O'Neill could give you m many details on how to say a particular line. Um, uh, Glass here doesn't give any stage directions, as I understand. So, but uh, through because we started with a table read, because there's a the, the feel in the room is very much like theater. Uh, in a sense, except for the fact that, uh, like I told the actors, I can't, if it was theater, I could help shape this, but we we are, I wouldn't say confined, but uh, I, I don't know what, what other word, we're, we are, we're in the form of music, so it's already been defined mm -hmm. on how, how the sound comes out. But how the sound comes out can come out many different ways. But what I was getting to is that... Uh, in the discovery of the work, uh, I think Philip Glass is, is, is certainly like give a, a direct tone to this particular line and this next mm -hmm. line. So a lot of uh, what I'm discovering is like uh, uh, with the actors as well is start and it's starting to fit. It's like the, this character is going through this at this particular time, and then the music is is reflecting that at the same time that we are discovering it. it was it's very interesting. Yeah. In other words, I think Philip Glass and his libretto some. Uh, definitely mine the work really well and it's very smart. I don't think they're off track at all. Yeah. And if they were off track, it would be a problem for me as a director. I was like, well, the music is a, is really optimistic here, but I don't feel that in, in what's going on dramaturgically. But that's not happening. <laughs> Interesting. It, it's, it's like as we continue to work on it dramaturgically, it's... Mm -hmm. It fit. It start. It fits. The, the musical score has a cumulative effect. It's written as a series of scenes. Mm -hmm. Another way, it's not like a traditional romantic opera. It's sixteen scenes, like in a like in a, a play with epilogue and prologue, and the music stops very definitively at the end of each scene. Uh, um, and but it has this cumulative effect. By the time you hit scene fourteen, fifteen. Um, uh, it really starts to become gripping and powerful and really moving mm. and mournful. And um, uh, uh, so uh, um, every, every great composer has their manner of conveying psychology and emotion, and Glass, Glass has, his, has his, and it's been very interesting to discover it. Also, I'd like to add that, like, I think from the beginning, intuitively, I thought uh, that it should be addressed like... A, uh, the sound should be addressed more like a, a film score. So uh, working with Kyle Delamarta, who's one of Imago's company members, on a not, I wouldn't say intense sound design, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of sound design in it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, Nick and I, uh, from the onset, Nick brought up to me he, that there's uh, no indication of the space between each of these scenes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes... Uh, uh, well, in one particular section, uh, we've added a lot of space and a lot, a lot of, uh, um, a lot of stage directions that moves the plot forward. And that, in a sense, it it feels definitely, uh, as you, as Nick said, like a, a theater piece with an opera in it, mm -hmm. or an opera piece that is very theatrical. Mm -hmm. And uh, to go back to what I said earlier, it was like, I think with a, 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 a musical like Fiddler on the Roof, you're very, it's very clear with, with the songs and the notes that what is going on. Mm -hmm. So I would, I would think it's not so difficult for the actors and the directors and, all, and all, all, all the conductor and all to understand the tone. But Kafka's piece here is very mysterious and un, un, uncertain of a lot of, of the layers that are going on. Mm -hmm. so, so that, I think Glass has, has created uh, a tone that can 
that resonates with all those layers. Mm -hmm. and, some, and it's ambiguous sometimes, mm -hmm. but there's a very clear uh, theatrical mood mm -hmm. that changes. Everyone who sees this piece will have their own interpretation, mm -hmm. their, their own ideas. Not just opinion, like it or not like it. They, they will. You can't not have thoughts about this piece, mm -hmm. and and it's it's just it's really gripping. It's really really gripping. When you start to work on a piece, and this is for both of you, you know, I think about a soundscape, and you as a pianist conductor, when you are thinking about movement in terms of beginning, middle, and end, and um, how things start to pick up in terms of energetic excitement. Do you play through the sh the piece without words? Because I know as a singer, music tells you so much, mm -hmm. and you don't need the words in many cases. And it sounds as though this might be one of those, where the music might you know instigate a moment mm -hmm. or end a moment. You know that there's name any classic opera, any repertory piece, anyone you want, La Boheme, Marriage of Figaro, all those pieces. The music is, um, as you say, the god of that universe. It, mm. it, 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 it is, it is, these, you know, it is telling you what to do. It's telling the director, mm -hmm. this is the, the you know, uh, you can add whatever detail you want, and but, but this, this is a piece that needs a director. Mm. Th th this is a piece that. Um, the music has its cumulative effect, as I said, but because it is, it has a neutrality to it. Um, so I learned the score before we ever started on my own, as I learn any score, uh, not with a recording, just on my own at the piano. And I have my own initial idea about, about the shape of this piece. But... I mean, we've been in rehearsal 10 days and every, every minute I'm saying, okay, this needs to go a little faster. This is, whereas with, with other pieces, I think sometimes conductors go, hey, we're going faster here and that's it. I don't care what the director does. Mm -hmm. but, whereas in this piece, it's, um, it's, uh, uh, um, there's a real collaboration going on. Ah, that's, that's the psychological tone they're getting here that I hadn't anticipated so it needs to go slower, faster, louder, softer, more of a rallentando in this bar. So, so are you guys so it, sitting yeah. pretty close in the room no. and really just, you know. It's not even so much that we that we literally discuss that. It's just it's just I observe that mm. that's what's happening, mm -hmm. and uh, um, you know, I need I adjust the pace accordingly mm -hmm. rather than having any sort of preset pace. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely going back and forth. Yeah, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that I'll work with the. Uh, well, Nick is also working with the actors directly too, so we're, we're we're both bouncing back and forth between the the two leads. I'm primarily directing the the non singers, and so the information is is circling in the room. That's yeah. that's the best way to say it. Yeah. It's going through the actors, through me, back to Nick, mm -hmm. Nick to the pianist, back back to me, and it, 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 it's 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 very exciting actually. There was one scene where. Um, this is before anybody ever met. This was two months ago as I was studying the score. There's one scene that is on the surface a very prosaic scene. It's, it's two characters having a discussion together. It's what, what people in Hollywood might call a talky scene. Um, and uh, I just thought, boy, this scene... Boy, the director is really going to have to save this scene because musically there's not a lot going on. They're not really saying that much that's quote unquote interesting. I'm just I'm going to have to I'm going to have to 
speed it up here. I'm gonna have to get through this scene. And then we got into rehearsal and there was discussion about it and I saw about it and I, and, and, and I saw it in context and I thought about it and I saw where it was in the trajectory and I thought, and I suddenly discovered that rather than this being this bland, prosaic, talky scene, it was actually filled with this enormous tension. They were discussing this thing, but beneath the surface was this, you know, this uh, um, um, high stakes negotiation. So actually, rather than going faster, I said, actually, we need to slow this down. If I go fast, it'll actually highlight the, the instinct is I need to get through this quicker. Going faster actually makes it more prosaic. Mm -hmm. Slow it down so that all the all the subtextual tension comes out. So it's things like that, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, in rehearsal, figuring out, oh, mm -hmm. there's the tension I hadn't noticed when I was just in the laboratory studying. It, mm -hmm. you know? That's fascinating. So what are you hoping that people will leave with? Um, well, I think it depends on what they come in with. So if they came in with I mean, having read the story and understanding Kafka, hopefully they're leaving with more to go into it. Mm -hmm. If they're coming in completely uh, raw to the whole uh, story and the event, obviously I think the same thing that perhaps Kafka intended, an examination of the different layers of the story. I mean, it has a... It has a uh, definitely intent of looking at all at the history of uh, I might be overstating it, but I don't think so. The history of the human species and how we decide what morality is and how we control one another and how that is cyclical in the sense that a government can perhaps like ours <laughs> start as a democracy and lead to something else mm -hmm. and then return back to another state later. So there's a definite cyclical element to it mm. where uh, I thought it at one time that it was just suggested, but it's very obvious. Mm. Uh, there are very clear moments that he, that Kafka has seen that we got, that this particular society has gone into a very dark period. They're coming out of it, but there's uh, definitely uh, an incantation to bring back the dark period later. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, I can only speak for myself. Um, there are there are movies, there are, P, there are TV shows, whatever, that I watch that might be really fun, that might be really entertaining, and I enjoy it. And as soon as it's over, it's out of my mind, and, and I've gone on to the next thing. And it's been a little bit of diversion, and, there, and there's a place for that. And then there's the masterpieces, the, the, which to me is, is, is a piece that, especially if I'm with, if I go see a great movie, and I'm with someone, and afterwards in the car home, we talk for two hours about the movie. Mm -hmm. What do you think that was about? What, what, what was going on in that movie? What did this, you know, uh, 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 and then for days and days and days, you can't get it out of your head. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it's, it's, it's separate from whether I even, it's not even about like or dislike. It's about what, what, the, he what the hell was that? What happened? Let's figure that out. <laughs> that affected me. Mm. That has got my wheels spinning. It has affected my viscera. And to me, th th that is what this piece, I think, will do, is, mm. that, is that people driving home from this performance will be talking about it and, and not in a brief, oh, I enjoyed that. It was great. It, but well, they, hopefully they will say that also. Right. But um, they, they, mm. will, they, they will 
it will open up discussion and, mm-hmm. and people, it, it will stay with people and it will affect people. And there's lots of wonderful places to go have dinner around the Hampton Center. Mm-hmm. So you can walk out and bring friends that you want to talk to for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Have some drinks, mm-hmm. have some or food. Or some IPA beer. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> so if you want to learn more about In the Penal Colony, you can go to portlandopera.org. And Portland Opera is going to present eight performances of In the Penal Colony on July 26th, the 28th, which is a matinee, July 30th, August 1, 3, 6, 8, and 10 at the Gregory K. and Mary Chomenko Hinckley Studio Theater at the Hampton Opera Center. And thanks so much for coming to talk to me about the piece. It sounds really thrilling. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And I know you both go back to rehearsal today. So are, how many more days of rehearsal do you have? I don't know. <laughs> I just show up yeah. and yeah. rely on the Back stage to the manager colonies. to tell well, me. Well, we have uh, uh, opening is July 26th. Mm-hmm. So almost every day until then almost we will have rehearsal. Then. Yeah. Wow. That sounds mm-hmm. great. It's nothing more The occasional fun. day off from the penal colony. <laughs> The occasional well, reprieve. You'll get time off for good behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. I want to reach 50% more listeners in the next three months, and I need your help. Will you share and subscribe? If I reach my goal, let's invent a cocktail to celebrate. How about an adventure Rita in Artslandia? Or do you have a better idea? 